Welcome to PR for Humans. I'm Mike Sargent, and I'm on a mission to help business leaders communicate more powerfully. Do you want to develop world-class media skills? Do you want to become a high-impact public speaker? Do you want a galvanizing business story that delivers your success? Then I can help. Visit sergeantleaders.com or prforhumans.com. Type Mike Sargent into Google. Find me. Find me and call me for media training, public speaking training, PR consulting, and leadership coaching. Anywhere in the world, I'd love to help you. My new book is PR for Humans, published April 2019. You can find it on Amazon. And please go now to Apple Podcasts or Spotify, rate and review this show. Thank you. Thank you. Share this podcast, share your stories, share your knowledge, stay human, and stay curious. Welcome to another edition of the podcast, and here I am today with Shimon Cohen. Hello, Shimon. Hello, good afternoon. You are the founder and chairman of the PR office. I am. Which is? Which is a public relations company based in London. Okay. It does what it says on the tin. Yeah, and it's interesting because quite a lot of agencies don't put PR into the title of the agency. I am, and I have always been proud of what I do. I love PR. Public relations, I think, is the best industry to be in. I have the best job in the world. It is hugely fantastic. And why we call the PR office is very simply that 15 years ago when I set up this business, I was sitting in a, uh, a Pret-a-Manger in Camden Town thinking of what I'm going to call this new company, yeah. <laughs> being a massive fan of the uh, Ricky Gervais, the office, mm. and saying to my accountant, God, I bet the PR office is taken by somebody. And he Googled whatever you do to Google company names, and it wasn't. So we bought it there and then. Great. Saved about £100,000 in branding, I suppose. Yeah, it's, it's a ready-made brand. Uh, it's funny, though, isn't it, that so many, so many people in PR seem to be hiding from the fact that they are in PR. Well, I used to work for a company called Bell Pottinger Communications. Mm, yes, I've heard of that. And we used to get into taxis in Mayfair, um, where Bell Pottinger was then based, and um, the taxi drivers thought we were a telephone company, like a mobile phone company, because it was a communications company. Yeah. And uh, I was very, very proud of public relations, and when we reorganized the business and I was um, appointed the chief executive of the public relations side of the business, we called it Bell Pottinger Public Relations and I was extremely proud to do so. And this is it's a strange thing because public relations you know, simply means your relations with the public in the simplest form. It's you know, communicating your story to people in a, in a, in a, in a truthful and accurate way. I mean, and so where, where's, where's it gone wrong? Then? It's gone wrong. I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, that, that is what public relations is all about. It is straightforward. How do you communicate with your public? At this moment in time, I'm your public. Mm. I have to do my best to get my message across to you because I'm nothing else at this moment in time matters to me. Mm. Unfortunately, there have been some bad examples of PR practitioners. And with bad examples of PR practitioners, the industry got a bad name. And that's where it comes from. Uh, People's general knowledge about the PR industry is limited to, what, one or two celebrity PR people who it's probably best not to mention, Mm -hmm. and AdFab. That's what people know about. Yeah, the champagne parties, the staggering out of uh, premieres and receptions, and and also the thick of it on the political side, the sort of manic political spin. Yeah, so, so, you know, and and that all sort of conjures up an, an, an image. It's certainly not the image that I like to portray. It's certainly not the type of work that I do. And it is... True, I, I haven't had a lunch for years. 
<laughs> left to right. Up. <laughs> so what what is what is PR then in your in your view? It, it is exactly what you said. It is relating to the public. It is taking the message of your client, whether that's an individual, a country, a company, a charity, whatever it might well be, whoever they might well be. And the bottom line is, it is simply about either getting into the news or getting out of the news. That's what PR is. And it's still very much the news, as, as you see it. It's, it's about, about the, the media. It's yes. about media relations. It's about media coverage for clients yes, or lack is. of media coverage. That's what clients want. Mm. And I, 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 I sort of find myself in, in, in a sort of strange situation from time to time. Um, I, I like things to be the black or white. I like things to be true or not true. I like things to be straightforward. I like to go into a shoe shop and buy a pair of shoes. It just irritates me if the guy says to me, would you like a pair of jeans as well? No, thank you. If I was going to buy jeans, I'd go to a jean shop. When I go to a public relations company, I want to get public relations activity. That's what I want. The clients come to me because they want to be in the news or out of the news. They're not interested in all the other stuff. We sell the other stuff because media relations went out of fashion. The more senior you got in this industry in the old days, the less media relations you did. And it was always left to the junior people. I never like that. I think that when a client comes to you and says, please look after my reputation, it's very important to me. I don't think it's right for that to be passed down the line so that you can make that job more profitable than something else. And that's one of the reasons why I like to set up my company, the PR office, is because I like to do PR. And when I was at Bell Pottinger, the better I got at it, the more promotions I got, the less PR I did. Mm. And then when I became the chief executive, I was doing everything but PR. I was suddenly expected to become an accountant, an HR professional, an insurance salesman, and a property <laughs> manager. And all I wanted to do is to do PR. It's amazing because I, I left journalism in 2014. And in you know, the last five years, I've been in the public relations realm. You're the first person I've met who's been as sort of straight and honest about what you do and, and why you do it. And everyone, it seems, out there is trying to reinvent themselves as you know, content strategists or reputation managers or you know, influencer engagement people. You know, and, and you, you just say, this is what clients want, which is well, very refreshing. Actually. But they're the ones who are paying for it. So isn't it a very good idea to offer the people who are paying what they want to buy? Sounds to me like a good way to run a business. Mm. So they come to you, clients would come to you and say, um, we want good coverage mm-hmm. or we're getting lots of terrible coverage mm-hmm. how do we change the situation and let's start on the good coverage side I mean what, what would be your kind of process if somebody comes to you and says look well, we, we, we just want to be known and, and recognised and get out there I mean, do you have a kind of set way of approaching a, a, a PR strategy or we do have a set way of um, approaching a PR strategy and it is summed up in the following way uh, where are you now where do you want to be? How do you get there? Once you've worked those three things out, the how do you get there is a combination of what do you say, when do you say it, how do you say it, and who says it. Mm. That's the PR strategy. Fill in all of those headlines, you've got your PR strategy. And so many people don't know, well, they're not honest about where they are, or they can't see it very clearly, and they don't really know where they want to get to. Absolutely right. right. <laughs> You're absolutely right. So, so you almost have to clarify what they're trying absolutely. to achieve but until you, you do know, Absolutely. But until you know where the client thinks they are, you're not going to be able to work any of the rest out. You have to listen to the client, and they will tell you where they think they are. Then you have to go and analyse, are they really there? And that often is the tough bit, to go back to the client to say, no, we had somebody in here the other day um, from a, uh, as it so happens, from a school, who was saying that um, the press is 
horrific. We're being trashed everywhere. I can't walk down the street without people shouting at me. It's Life is unbearable. It, I, we have to deal with this. And um, we did a sort of relatively quick search, and I found one article in one local free newspaper and nothing on social media. Right. But as far as that person was concerned, yeah. that free local newspaper is the only newspaper that that woman reads. Therefore, my world's coming to an end. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and for another client, they could be, you know, coverage all over the papers and they barely blink. And they, don't, and they, they barely blink. blink. They don't yeah. care. Like, yeah. you know, big, giant companies. I, I've, I've been having a... It's not a secret. You can look on my Twitter. I've been having a ding-dong with Virgin Railways. Right just because I keep going on Virgin Railways and unfortunately for them something seems to go wrong every time I get onto Virgin Railways and I'm this ding-dong with that. Ultimately they don't care because it's a monopoly. I'm still going to go on it next week when I have to go to Manchester because how else can I get to Manchester? So it, it really depends on, on, on where you think you are. Now, the where do you want to be, often they know where they want to be. Whether it's I want to be the biggest... Um, I want to have the best. I want to um, be seen in a different way. Often they know what their goal is. So, um, you know, many people, certainly in, in corporations or charities, they, they have a goal. They know what the goal is. Um, whether it's realistic or not, again, is for you to, as a, as a PR consultant, for you to manage whether that goal is realistic. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. Um, more often than not, it is. But when it isn't, you have to manage that. The how do you get there is, is our secret. That's the bit that we're special at. That's the bit that you don't want to tell too, too many people about how you do that. Because that is the bit of IP for, what, for, for whatever it's worth of a PR consultant. Understanding the route from A to B. Mm. That's the key bit. And, and so a lot of it's still about relationships. Relationships with the media. Relationships, relationships with um, people in the industry. Relationships with political leaders. It's all about relationships with decision makers. Now whether it's decision makers in a direct way like politicians. Or decision makers in an indirect way like uh, media all forms of media, it's about relationships. Um, it's quite difficult for people to think um, ill of you if you're a nice person. Mm. That's the reality of it. If you're a good company, it's quite... I, the way I often describe it to people is that, that um, when that bad news comes, because it will, do you want it to fall on a soft landing or a hard landing? Simple as that. If, if you want it to fall on a soft landing, let's work. Get your reputation out ahead of you. Let's talk about the good things that you do. Sometimes with, with um, bad uh, results, you know, the, uh, with uh, publishing bad results, um, the company, company knows it's going to have a bad results. It's had a bad trading quarter. It's going to have a negative uh, report coming. Get ahead of all of that beforehand. Sometimes a school will, will know it's had a really rotten Ofsted inspection. And it's only a matter of time before Ofsted published that report. Get ahead of that story. Talk about all the positive things. Your job as a PR consultant must be about telling the truth. Mm. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to tell the whole truth. Right. So long as what you say is nothing but the truth. Is the truth. And there's different ways of presenting the truth as well, yes. which is where we get into the kind of storytelling. Which aspect. is the point about whether it's the truth or the whole truth. Yeah. And because, and, I mean, the sort of the argument by um, Lord Brown in his, in his book, Connect, 
um, you know, former chief executive of BP, was you don't really need PR people. All, all, you, all you need to do, all you should do as a company, is just do good things. <laughs> right, the successor proved that absolutely marvellously. I forget the name of his successor, but this was the man Howard, yeah. uh, yes, who, who took over from Lord Brown and, and, and sort of damaged the reputation of that company by not using PR people do and not listening right. to advice. Yeah. So I think sort of that proves the point in itself, really. Yeah, but I mean, the, the point about, you know, for a start, do, do good things... Mm-hmm. Um, but also tell people about the good things that you do. Yeah, look, doing good things, yes, there's no question about it. But the point is, if you do good things, it has to be real. Mm. People always talk about uh, PR being superficial, and that's the abfab bit. Mm. Um, yes, if you are um, a big giant oil company and you've just poured gallons of oil into the, into the ocean and then you open a school around the corner you know that's doing good things but that's rather silly people will see through that, that's superficial mm-hmm. so the point is that companies need to have a social purpose, we're living in the 21st century, <clears throat> if you have a social purpose I, which I understand is the modern way of uh, referring to CSR which was indeed in its time the modern way of talking about charity and philanthropy. Mm. But anyway, we're calling it social purpose today. Companies need to have a social purpose in absolutely everything they do. They need to be seen to be good employers. They need to be, and they need to be good employers. They need to be seen to be honest. And they need to be honest. All of those things need to come through. So it isn't a question of I've got a do good department where I'm going to do good. Good social purpose has to filter through absolutely everything that you do. Mm. And if you tell that story that everything I do involves positivity, then you're going to win. And it's, it's always you know, d- difficult to know exactly where, where the line is, and it depends on your, your sort of cultural reference of points. And, and do you feel good system. about yourself? Do you look in the mirror in the morning and think, I've done well? And yeah. as a PR person, that is the point. That, that is yeah. the point, yeah. And, but but it's, it's interesting the point you make about, and, and I totally agree on, on purpose and, and CSR, and... And so often where companies have gone wrong is they've put it in a box over there. You know, there's an office over there doing the CSR bit. Or, you know, we're planting trees over there. Or we're doing that over there. And actually it's not core to your, to your activities. Mm-hmm. So it, essential that it is truthful. Essential that it runs through the organisation in some way. Otherwise people are going to see through it now. And in this age of transparency that we well, apparently we live, live in. We live in an age where, where absolutely everything is public information and public knowledge. Um, which is a phenomenal change for PR people. You see, we used to live in a world where uh, people had private things. My dad, for example, in the 1960s, had a private company. Um, and in those days, when you had a private company, that you were seen to be, you know, that was really something quite middle class. You had a private company. Today, private means secret, and secret means bad. And therefore, you can't keep anything private anymore because anything you try to keep private is seen to be secret. And therefore, secret is bad. So we're living in this world where you might as well get ahead of the story because it ain't mm. going to be quiet for however long you think it is. It just isn't. Whatever you've done, whatever it's going to be, whatever, get out ahead of the story. Yeah, and, and take ownership of the story. Right? Take and, ownership. You know, if you don't take control of your story, mm. someone else is going to take control of it for you or, or well, tell I, their I, story uh, instead or tell a bad version of your story. Which would be crazy when you think about it. It's your reputation. Why on earth would you want somebody else looking after it for you? Mm. So you believe uh, reputation can be managed? Absolutely, reputation can be managed. Like every, every aspect of your life can be managed. Um, it doesn't... Re- when managing reputation doesn't mean about pretending. It doesn't mean pretending you're something or someone you're not. It means about managing it. And people refer to spin 
Uh, but when spin was invented as a phrase to describe the PR industry, it was seen as a good thing, like on the cricket pitch. It seemed as a good thing. That all changed, and, and it obviously in this country, everybody was aware of all it. It all changed when the spin doctors forgot about their responsibility to tell the truth. Mm. And when they started to tell things that were not the truth. Now, I never considered that to be spin. That was just lying. Mm. And once you do that, it's all over. So, And the spin doctors uh, became the story. And the spin doctors became the which story, is which is... A, a, a no-no for anyone in PR. Well, it's a, it's a huge no-no. I mean, if, if just think about it, very, you know, you say anyone in PR, but talk about anyone in business. Mm. If I'm in business and I'm paying this PR man a load of money to make me look good, I do not want to see him on the telly. Yeah. Pretty simple, in yeah, my yeah, mind. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, because if I see him on the telly, I'll be thinking to myself, well, why wasn't I on that programme? Or if I see the PR guy in the sort of lunch with the FT or whatever, I think, hold on a minute, I should be. So, uh, you know, yes, they should not be the story. And, and if you want to be the story, don't be the PR guy, be something else. Yeah, yeah. Now, let's hear a bit more about your story um, then, Shimon, because it, it sounds like a fascinating route that you've gone on, um, <laughs> starting out working with, with the chief rabbi and then moving into the, the, the Bell Pottinger world and, and now setting up your own... Uh, agency here. Do you call yourself an agency? By the yeah, way? Yes, you do. Absolutely, okay. absolutely. And, and, and doing all sorts of incredible things like yeah. writing speeches for Nelson Mandela. <laughs> uh, I, I am the luckiest man of the world. Uh, just reflect on your career a bit. How you <laughs> I'm a very lucky man. Um, I don't quite know why I am, but I am. Uh, yes, I worked for the chief rabbi, um, the late Lord Jacobovitz. People won't remember him today, but in the 1990s he was a giant. He was the uh, moral voice of the nation. He was known. Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher was very close. He was very close with him. Um, they, uh, funnily enough, uh, uh, the Daily Mail once um, uh, 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 called on, on, on the Church of England to change its rules to allow the Chief Rabbi to become Archbishop of Canterbury. He was, he was that sort of <laughs> remarkable yeah. character. And I learned about remarkable characters from him. Anyway, as he was coming close to retirement, um, a great man... Um, who remains a great man today, um, Lord Young of Grafham, who at the time was um, Secretary of State for Trade and Industry, um, who I was very fortunate in that he liked me. Um, he said to me, well, when the chief rabbi retires, what are you going to do? And I said, I really don't know. He said, you must go and see my friend Tim Bell. So he arranged for me to go and see Tim Bell, and I went, and I sat in front of Tim Bell, and Tim Bell said to me, um, what do you do? And uh, I told him what I did, I, you know, I'm director of the office of the chief rabbi and I all the different things that I did and it's not a chaplain job it's a mm. it was a a, 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 a job in, in, in doing all the things managing diaries and writing chief speeches staff, and chief of staff and yeah. all, all that and talking to the newspapers all the time and giving interviews and mm. writing comment and what have you I'm telling and I said so tell me what you do because I didn't really know anything at all yeah. so Tim Bell uh, in the way that he did and uh, uh, you know he would put his, his, his feet on the table and he'd uh, take a yet another cigarette and he would start talking about all, of it, all the things that he did as a PR man and I'm thinking to myself wow I've been doing that for years and nobody told me it was PR mm. and he offered me a job and I took it and I started there and I just loved it and it was very interesting to me because I was given clients in those days you're pretty junior you'd given stuff to do um, P&O one of the big shipping companies I did a lot of work for them um, I worked for Andrew Lloyd Webber and the Really Useful Group. I worked for the Welsh Development Agency, primarily because I'm Welsh. And um, um, that was my, my great claim to fame. At that time, I was shoved down to Wales, which was great for me, because it was like going back home, and I was looking at the reputation of Wales. Now, it's something that meant an enormous amount to me. I was brought up in South Wales. I went to a school 
giant comprehensive school. And uh, it is true to say that in those days, in the 1960s, I was one of the few kids in the class whose dad had a job. So I knew how Wales needed to change itself and change the way it looked. And yes, a decade or so later, Wales' unemployment rate matched the United Kingdom. Now, most people might think, well, that's terrible. Mm. Not terrible. It was always 10 points higher than the the rest of the United Kingdom. To get to parity was Mm. excellent. Mm. We created jobs. We created all sorts of... We went all over the world extolling the virtues of Wales. And Wales became the biggest concentration of Japanese industry in the United Kingdom in the 1980s. Every single TV and cooker and everything you might want to buy made in Japan, actually made in Wales. Mm. Great thing for us. Wow. So, an amazing transformation. And that was an example of, of, <clears throat> of a story that's not just a story, it's a story that's doing something real. Story, doing something real, doing something meaningful, and going and telling the story. And in those days, going and telling the story was really very, very important. And later people told me going and telling the story wasn't very important anymore because you could have video conferencing. And then they told me it's not that important anymore because you can have WhatsApp. Sorry, no. Going and telling the story is absolutely very important. Yeah. Go and tell that story wherever it is, to whomever it is. Get your message out, but let it be heard. i tell you something. In my own company, I say to uh, people, you know, they say, well, what should we do about this? And I say, well, I'll tell you what, give so-and-so a call and um, present, the, present to him. A couple of hours later, I'll say, so did you call so-and-so? They say, oh, yes, I sent an email, but I haven't had a reply. <laughs> Sorry, where in my instruction Pick up the phone, did it right? say send an yeah, email? Yeah, yeah. Go tell, tell that message yourself. Tell the story. People are interested to understand how you go through a thought process. We went, we went to Japan in those days and we were talking to Japanese industry, Japanese businessmen about all of these people in the, the coal and the steel industry who are all unemployed. Well, if we had told the story like that, nobody would have been interested. Now, how many people who worked for the National Coal Board actually dug coal? Some, but others were electricians, were carpenters, were technicians in so many different industries and what you had was an available workforce of people wanting to work well that excited the Japanese straight away and they moved their businesses to South Wales so it's about how you tell the story and to whom yeah and and the human to human communication to me is still to me I know all the people who came to me presenting their new whizzy um, uh, video conferencing you know oh let's do this thing by Skype no thanks not for me yeah and you can't you know people also think that you can automate large amounts of this sort of stuff and you know, have lots of clever ways of bringing technology into public relations to get your story well, out I there. Don't know. And, and you're still, I mean, clearly, this is a successful believer that you just keep your story straight and get out there and tell it as best you can. It's, you know, it is. The reality of life is that B follows A and C follows B. That's how it works. Um, I was on the phone before this uh, trying to renew my car insurance. And this rather boring metallic voice was telling me if I, if I, if I say this and I say that, and I give my policy number. And then the voice said to me, I can help you with that. And actually, there was no way that that voice could possibly help me with that. No. I had a pretty straightforward inquiry that they couldn't work out. So you have to keep pressing buttons until you get to somebody. Yeah. And then when you get to somebody, the whole problem gets resolved in a few seconds. And we want human beings. That's I, kind of what my book is all about, I is how do companies show their, their, their humanity to the world? How does the CEO demonstrate they're a human being, or yeah. the workforce is, is made up of human beings? Well, look, for anybody who doesn't believe that... For anybody who wants to believe that technology can take over the world. Now, I don't mean in any way to sound like a Luddite. I love technology. I have an Apple phone and a watch and a, the, everything. I've got absolutely everything, and I love the technology. But before we get into sort of whether, whether it works or it doesn't work or how beneficial it is or not beneficial, look at Twitter. 
Look at any Twitter. You can name any company you like from here or, or any company. I won't test you, but any company you like. And I can guarantee that the majority of the Twitter correspondence is about bad customer service. So if human-to-human contact didn't matter, and if direct contact didn't matter, why are thousands and thousands of people on Twitter all the time complaining about customer service? Like you and Virgin Trains. Well, like me and Virgin Trains, yes. Um, I, I'm just trying to get them to understand that I'm the customer. Yeah, no, yeah which is often, <laughs> yes. often forgotten. But that's the um, point about it. So yeah. people who say that, 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 that human-to-human contact doesn't matter anymore, it, it doesn't actually stack up with the evidence. Sure. No, I mean, I'm a massive believer in that. So tell me, tell me um, you set up this company... Uh, in 2003. Three. So here you are, all these years later. What, what, is, um, what does the PR office look like? Who do you well, serve? It's a, Where it's do you a truly, It's a truly remarkable thing. I, I think it's a truly remarkable thing. Um, when um, I left um, Belpot um, and started, I had no idea how to run a business. Um, and my father... Despite being the CEO... Uh, well, yeah, but you see, when you're the CEO of a company like Bell Pottinger, you're picked up in a Mercedes every day and you're driven mm. to Mayfair and you've got accountants and all of these people who do all of this stuff and, yep. and stuff. Um, so, you know, and I was never really very interested in that. I wanted to be a PR guy. So having done that for a while, setting up my own business, um, I, um, my dad, who's um, now extremely elderly but remains an extremely wise man, said to me the most important lesson in setting up a business is, is to know what you're not very good at. So um, at the PR office, um, accounts are outsourced, HR is outsourced, procurement is outsourced, recruitment is outsourced. Everybody in this business, all 20 of us, do PR. That's what we do every single day. Mm. Now, I was very fortunate um, in that um, on the very first day of the PR office, I was in um, PC World. I don't think they exist anymore, do they, PC World? But I was in PC World trying to buy a computer. Um, which you might sound is a rather silly thing, but no, at Bell Potter, just someone did these things for you. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to buy a computer. I had no idea much about computers. Anyway, my phone went. And um, I, of course, had sent various people emails to say, listen, I've left Bell Pottinger. You wouldn't allow to say anything more because that would be against the law. But uh, uh, anyway, this guy phoned me up. He'd been a client of mine for many, many years. <coughs> he phoned me up and he said, I have you. Okay, I hear you left. And um, I understand the rules. You're not allowed to solicit me, but I'd like to join you. I said, okay, well, that's great. Thank you very much. He said, what can I do to help? Well, I am a little bit stubborn. And I sort of said, no, 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 if I'm going to do this on my own, um, I don't need help. What I would like you to do is just become a client. And he said, uh, I won't say exactly what he said, it's not really, uh, but he, he said, um, uh, yes, don't be so stubborn and send me an invoice for the first six months' fees, which was a remarkable thing mm-hmm. uh, for a client to do, and I did, and therefore I could buy my computers and pay my rent. And I was fortunate enough, therefore, to start my business with no and you debt. you went straight into a, a, a nice retainer, yeah, which, which is a, a good position it's to... It's a fantastic to, position most, to be maybe, in. Most people who are starting agencies are you know, borrowing scrapping and, and borrowing exactly. and trying to... I was very, very fortunate in that respect. But the fact that that person had been a client of mine for 10 years and 15 years later is still a client of mm. mine is about... Delivering, yeah. If you don't deliver, you don't retain your clients. I am very proud that for the fifteen years that we've been in business, a a goodly proportion of our clients are clients who came in the very early, at the very very beginning. Yeah, who remain fifteen years on, still our clients. We refresh the teams, we refresh the people, we refresh the approaches. But there is longevity and a relationship which really does work. Now. We've sort of got involved in lots and lots and lots of different things, and that's only because 
as a, a salesman in some respects, I suppose, I've never said no to anybody about anything at all. So one of the things that's great about the PR industry is the purchaser knows they need it, but they're not quite sure what it is. Mm. And therefore, people phone us, whether it's real estate or government work or uh, charities or healthcare companies or old people's homes or whatever it might well be, the, uh, somebody, so-and-so said, I need PR, I mean, maybe you can help. Of course I can help. So mm. along you go and help. And it's not a question, as long as you can sit with them and understand, where are you now, where do you want to be, how do you get there? Which is why we have clients in every sector you can possibly think about. And a lot of the time they... I mean, do you ever say to them, though, actually what you need is marketing? You don't need public relations. You don't need to be in the newspapers. What you need is a great process for, I don't know, client acquisition, say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, absolutely. I, I hope that, that, that uh, I, I, I have a reputation for honesty and yes there have been times where I've said you really don't need me and there have been times where I actually I can sort your problem out in three minutes um, um, because it's easy to sort that problem out so yes um, I, I, I have done that sometimes it's referral to uh, law firms um, sometimes it's a very short PR program that's required but a much more intensive and lot to sort out an, a, a, an issue and then a much more intensive uh, marketing um program which may involve some advertising as well so yes uh, the solution to everything in the world is not PR and, and the lines are getting a little blurred for, for a lot of people who, who are in PR but actually you find that they are spending a lot of time say creating content and then then paying Facebook or someone else to propagate it so they're, 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 they're advising yeah. clients to spend <coughs> money getting their story out there which isn't pure public relations but sometimes it's, it's part of the mix look I I um, I would like to think that, that, that I'm getting better at something I'm good at. Um, I, I don't really claim to be a, an expert in other things. I would never advise a client about other things that I'm not good at or think I'm good at. Um, there are people who do advertising and they're very good at it. There are people who do marketing and they're very good at it. And the best piece of advice, and it will play well for everybody in the future, the best piece of advice is what my father said, to know what you're not very good at. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's a great bit of advice. And, and, and funnily enough, in a book I was reading about marketing recently, it was, it was if you want to be good at marketing, um, just focus on, on selling one thing and selling it really well. Well, it's and quite don't try and sell 10 things at once. It's quite know. interesting. It, it is very interesting because when I started uh, this, uh, you know, you, you, you sort of read a lot of books and there were lots of books that I read at the time which were, which were the groundbreaking books, The Tipping Point and mm. uh, Funky Business and those books that 15 years ago were, everyone was talking about. But the most important book that I read, it wasn't a book that I read, it was an interview I read from a guy who had been a client of mine <clears throat> in the past and at that time was the chief executive of Tesco, uh, Terry Leahy. Yep. <clears throat> and um, it was really very interesting that, you, you know, people would imagine that uh, Sir, Sir Terry Leahy would be a uh, non-executive director of 50 different... Not a bit of it. He never served on the board of anybody else's company, only Tesco. Mm. He was not a trustee of any charity. And he worked his way out through, through the... All the way through. Yeah. Focus, yeah, focus, yeah, yeah. focus. And when he became the chief executive of Tesco, he said, I don't, I, I, how have I got time for other jobs? Yeah. And he only had one... Job. He was yeah. not on the board, and he was not a trustee about it. And I followed that. Uh, I, I read that. I understood that. So if you want to build a business, you want to do well for yourself and for your family. You've got to have focus. And, and this, so this is that. this is your absolute focus. Absolutely, here. this is my focus. Yeah. But 
I, you know, this is this is a labour of love to a large extent. I bounce out of bed in the morning. I love it. Every day is fantastic. Yeah, and and you know, some agencies are, are, are desperate for, for for growth, and they 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 grow and grow and grow, or, or they they grow and then they collapse. And is it quite hard to find a nice stable state with a with an agency where you've got some nice clients, you've got a good team, you're making good money, and it's it's not kind of Look, I keep talking about my father, um, 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 and I still do um, uh, respect many of the things that he taught me. And um, things have changed an enormous amount. I mean, but you know, when I grew up um, in the 1960s in South Wales, uh, we were very fortunate. We went to uh, Mallorca for two weeks every summer, and we people we were the richest people in town. Uh, people assumed that if we could go to Mallorca for two weeks, that was absolutely the real. You know, he defined his wealth by uh, not knowing what anything costs in the supermarket, and that's me. I have a house; I don't need two. Um, I have a car; I don't really like driving, but I do have one. I don't need two. I'm not interested in aeroplanes, or you know. And I have a couple of holidays a year, and that's just how it is. So, it, it, growth has to be for a purpose, not just for wealth. Mm. Um, and so, from my point of view. Um, Servicing clients is much more important. If you service clients well, you're going to get repeat business. You're going to get long, long-term contracts. You're going to do very nicely. The growth of this business is because we seem to be rather good at what we do, and people want to hire us. And if people want to hire us, we've got to have the team to be able to service. So we get bigger because clients come to us. We don't do a huge amount of going out. We don't need to at this point. We're very fortunate. So that's what would drive growth in this business. It's not my desire to have two houses. Yeah, no, it's, and it's, a, it's a good to kind of remember what your, your motivation is in, in life. It's certainly true. Um, what, what's the most exciting kind of PR project you've been involved with? I, I mean, I, I mentioned... Mandela earlier. Tell, tell us about that, for instance. How did you well, end up I, I mean, writing that, speeches for Nelson That Mandela? was obviously, I mean, truly one of the great moments, one of the great periods of my life. Truly incredible. Um, the, 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 the short story is that um, uh, Nelson Mandela had an idea, recognising that during his time as president of South Africa, he had taken his eye off the AIDS issue. And he devoted, he wanted to devote his retirement to rectifying that point. He also saw that, that his celebrity was going to be able to help him do this and decided that he could lecture as many people he wanted about AIDS awareness, but actually they weren't going to listen to a 70-year-old retired ex-president, whoever he was. But they were going to listen to the people who worshipped him. So he literally got on the phone to Brian May at Queen and Beyonce and McCartney and Geldof and and Miss Dynamite and everybody you possibly think of and he said look I have this great idea Dave Stewart and Annie Lennox all of these I think, great idea we're going to have a big concert and you're going to talk about AIDS and we did and I was involved in that and I was uh, at one point in the preparations for this concert which was at Greenpoint Stadium in South Africa and the idea was that, that, that all of these people would come and it would be a great big concert but those artists would talk about AIDS awareness and all of the things that, that was necessary to do at that time. And then the organiser uh, of the concert um, uh, said, look, you know, obviously, you know, Nelson Mandela is hosting this thing and he's going to come onto stage and he's going to address the audience. And it was, Greenpoint Stadium was packed, however many people, 70,000 people, and it was broadcast throughout the world. And we actually got the Guinness Book of Records for the biggest televised audience ever. Um, which was remarkable. And then um, I was given the task of writing the speech for Mandela. 
um, which was um, uh, great. Now, I, I write speeches for lots of people, I, so I was busy writing my speech, um, and I thought it was, was rather good. I'd read a lot of his works, I'd read a lot of his stuff, so I got a bit of the tone of voice. And, and I gave it to this wonderful lady, Zelda Lagrange, who was the, uh, the, the aide to uh, Nelson Mandela, and I gave it, and, it, and she said, well, um, you better go and rehearse it with him. <laughs> and I thought to myself, this has got to be amazing. Um, so I get shown up to the hotel suite, assuming I'm going to open the door, there's going to be 20,000 people in the room. Um, and he was sat there at his desk. And Zelda left me with him, and we rehearsed the speech. And quite a lot of times um, and he asked me about why I'd written certain things and why and it was an incredible moment I have no hesitation in admitting that when this 30 minute private audience with this incredible man I, I left how I had managed not to blubber and burst yeah. into tears then I do not know but I didn't manage to get to the lift before absolutely sitting down on the he, floor he'd read that's <laughs> wonderful I mean wonderful story and he, he'd read the speech before you got into the room or did uh, no, no 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 I had to go through it with you yes. 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 um, and you like it well if anything could ever have got better than that moment was of course the moment when he um, walked up the platform onto the stage in front of 50,000 people at Greenpoint Stadium and 2 billion people throughout the world and spoke my words. Yeah. Now, I suppose people will say that's terribly indiscreet of you to tell that because, you know, you should never sort of admit that you write speeches for these people because it's their speeches, but he's since passed away and it is one of the great moments of my life and I think people will allow me to have that one. It's a, yeah, no, <laughs> definitely, it's a wonderful thing. And it's something, I've, not on that scale, but it's something I, I have enjoyed occasionally writing words that, that come under other people's names <laughs> and you think I wrote that I'm actually quite proud of that person sort of taking my words and yeah, using yeah. them oh, it's funny that because um, uh, uh, when Margaret Thatcher was the Prime Minister um, uh, it was hugely well reported at one stage in some debate over um, terrorism she said and we must deprive them of the oxygen of the media yeah. and there's a phrase that everybody remembers the truth of the matter is that that phrase was used first by Lord Jakobowicz, the chief rabbi, who in a speech to the American Bar Association, in the middle of one of those terrible terrorist moments in the 1980s that were happening, he used that phrase. And as he and her had such a good relationship, he often sent her his speeches. Mm. And she wrote back and said, fantastic speech, can I use that line? Mm. But I wrote the line. (laughs) 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 Wonderful. Uh, just finishing up, I mean, it's been a great conversation. And I just just a, a thought about maybe the future of, of public relations in this industry. I mean, are you an optimist? There'll be something called public relations around in you know twenty years' time. Say, do, do you think am, it will endure? As a, I am so optimistic. Of course, it will endure because it is about having conversations. There are now more ways to have conversations than there ever used to be. Um, there, it, it is literally 24-7. People used to say things that 24... Now it literally is 24 You know, it isn't any longer get to the 1 o'clock news and then go home for the afternoon. It's 24-7. Conversations are happening all the time. Companies need to engage with consumers are more prevalent than they used to be. 
choice is more prevalent than it used to be. Therefore, competition is more prevalent than it used to be. These conversations are going on and becoming easier and easier and easier with the use of social media and technology. Public relations is absolutely the stuff of the future. Good. An optimistic thought to, to finish on, Sean. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I've really enjoyed hearing your your stories, reflections and, and advice. And Thank you for having me. To be me. so upbeat and honest about PR. I have the best job in the world. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. And so we reach the end of another episode of PR for Humans. I do hope you've enjoyed the show. Please share the ideas and the knowledge. Visit prforhumans.com or sergeantleaders.com for more information about me and my work. I provide media training, public speaking training, leadership coaching and PR strategy for amazing clients all over the world. Perhaps we can work together someday. Either way, I wish you luck. Share this podcast, share your stories, share your knowledge. Stay human and stay curious.